what, what an incredible week it's been. An incredible week it's been. I, I'm going to chat a bit about jam in a second, but first, let me read from God's Word. And we're in this series at the minute, uh, the I Am sayings of Jesus, where in John's Gospel, Jesus reveals who He is in, in all kinds of different ways to His followers and to the crowd. And tonight, as we look, it's a really famous saying of Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life. And to give you a bit of the backdrop for this story, what's happening is Jesus has got some really good friends, a guy called Lazarus, his two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Lazarus gets really ill, really critically ill. And his sisters send word to Jesus and say, Jesus, your friend Lazarus is really ill. And they say, Jesus, can you come? Because they know Jesus has authority over sickness. They've seen him heal people before. And they know if Jesus can just come, he can lay hands on, he can pray. And hopefully, Lazarus's illness will not end in death. And yet, Jesus takes a few days to get to Mary and to Martha. It takes a few days to get to Bethany. And we pick up this reading in, in John chapter 11, verse 17. It's quite a long reading, so you can follow along or you can simply listen and journey the emotion of the story because it's a really emotive passage. However you listen, listen now for God's Word. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but, Martha, but Mary sorry, stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, 
she fell at his feet. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he he was deeply moved in spirit. He was troubled. Where have you led him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? And Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been in there for four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. Just imagine that scene in the graveyard. They took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus, in a loud voice, called out, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, if that is not one of the strangest and most disturbing and most exciting passages in Scripture, then I don't know what is. Let's pray for a second, and then we'll talk about it. Heavenly Father, guard us tonight from any sense of over-familiarity with your Word. We've heard this story before, and we've, we've quoted it and heard it quoted to us so many times. But tonight, Lord, as we hear it, help us to hear it with fresh ears and see it with fresh eyes. Move us from theology to encounter. Move us from doctrine to you, Jesus, that we might fall at your feet just as Mary did and see you for who you are, the risen Christ, the resurrection and the life, the great I am. God, we believe that you are real and we believe that you are here with us by your Spirit and we ask for you to speak words of eternal life and of hope 
and of resurrection into us and over us tonight. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So it's been said again and again and again, and and I'm going to emphasize it, and I do it with no apology. Jam has been the most amazing week. It's my first time about it, so sorry if this is your 30th or 40th or 50th jam. I'm not sure how long it's going. Um, and, And you just expect it to be amazing every time. It was absolutely incredible. We had had teenage kids coming down here to get fish oil and mayonnaise and shaving cream put into their hair because they love Jesus and want to communicate that to children. Now, I'm not exactly sure where that is in the Bible, but it seemed to work. It was good. We, we had... We had teenagers and and leaders and adults, not just kids, adults, taking the week off work to come and sleep in this church building so they could worship together and pray together and be totally all in for Jesus this week. And the lingering smell that you smell is probably them. So I apologize for that. Um, we, We had over 200 children coming here every single day, and hearing and experiencing the love of God. We had 70-plus teenagers coming here at night to play games and have loads of fun, but to worship and to learn about Jesus and to respond to what He was saying to them and asking of them in their lives. We saw dozens of teenagers respond for prayer ministry. On Friday night, there was over 30 young people came forward saying, can you please pray with me? God's speaking to me, and I'm not quite sure what to do with that. And we had teams of people praying for them and praying over them and laying hands on them. And the part that excited me the most was this week we saw over 30 children and teenagers give their lives to the Lord and get saved and become Christians. I think the sound's gone off because when that happened, there was angels in heaven, heaven doing backflips. So we're not going to get any further in this sermon tonight unless you respond appropriately, church, to what I've just told you. We are told in the Bible that there's more rejoicing over one sinner that repents than over 99 that come to church. We saw over 30 children and young people get saved this week, and when they stand on this stage in 20, 30 years' time and give their testimony, they're going to talk about what happened this week in church. How do we want to respond to that? Exactly. Exactly. What? an incredible week. We saw over 30 young people have their lives forever shaped by these words that Jesus has spoken 2,000 years ago when He said, I am the resurrection and the life, says the Lord. Whoever believes in me will live, and whoever lives by believing in me will not die. And these young people, for them, that has become their reality this week. And for some of you, it definitely has. And for some of you, you're not quite there yet. And and, and that's okay. That's okay. But I want to say really clearly tonight, 
that our Christian belief, what we are about as a church, what what we believe fundamentally centers around this claim of Jesus. This is idea of resurrection. Because what we believe is that, that Jesus Christ, God in human form, entered our world, became flesh and blood 2,000 years ago. And not only did he walk amongst us and show us what perfect humanity looks like, he loved us all the way to the cross. When he gave his life on the cross, he was nailed to a cross, he was executed, and his death wasn't like the death of anybody else in that day or any other day. Because he was the perfect lamb of God. He was the sacrifice for the sins of the world. When he gave his life voluntarily on the cross, a divine transaction took place and death was defeated and sin was forgiven and the way into eternal life and heaven was opened up for us all. Because when his body was taken off the cross and laid in the grave, it only stayed there for three days because on the third day, he was raised to life. He smashed the teeth of death. He took the keys of death back from the evil one. And life and eternal life flooded in and became a possibility and an invitation for all of us. That's what we believe That's at the very center of what it is to be Christian and to be church. Now, maybe you're here tonight and that throws up questions for you, and that's okay. Let me say really definitively, 2,000 years ago, there was a person called Jesus Christ who walked on this earth. It's very hard to argue that. It's, It's documented both inside and outside the Bible. In fact, there's probably as much proof for that fact as any other fact from 2,000 years ago. And not only that, 2,000 years ago, this Jesus person was executed on a Roman cross. He was crucified, and the Romans were meticulous in their records. And again, that is documented. But when it comes to resurrection… The Romans executed thousands of people on the cross, but only one of them was raised back to life, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. And for many people, that's the stumbling block. I get the love of Jesus. I I get the forgiveness of Jesus. I, I, I even quite like the sayings of Jesus, but this resurrection thing, it's just not rational. It's just not logical. And yet I want to suggest tonight there are a number of proofs that Jesus Christ was literally bodily resurrected from the grave. The the, the first thing I want to suggest is that the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection was Mary from our story tonight. A woman. And 2,000 years ago, women didn't have the same rights that men had. Their testimony didn't stand up in court. And so if you were going to make something up and, and, and create some kind of fabrication or a lie, the very last thing you do would be to use a woman to verify it because their testimony wasn't worth water 2,000 years ago. And the only reason that the gospel writers and the Christian church would suggest that that Mary 
was the first witness to the resurrection and the empty tomb would be if it literally happened. There is no reason they would have made that up. It would have been madness to make it up. The, the only logical conclusion is it's true. The, another proof that scholars put forward for the resurrection is, is the transformed lives of the disciples. Before Jesus died, where were they? They were hiding. There was no disciples at the foot of the cross. Peter was asked, do you know this Jesus guy? I've never seen him before. I don't know who he is. And yet after the resurrection, the disciples were so convinced that Jesus really was the Son of God who was raised back to life that they found this new courage. And they were bold and they were fearless before they weren't any of these things. But after the resurrection... They were fearless for the gospel. Their lives were transformed by this event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And not just then, for 2,000 years. And and today, there are 2.2 billion Christians in the world who would testify to the same thing, the transforming power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in their lives. Let me give you one final proof. Paul tells us that there are over 500 eyewitness accounts to the resurrection. And when he wrote that, he wrote that within the lifetime of those people. So if you had received that letter from Paul, when he said that there's over 500 eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus, you literally could have went and asked 500 people to verify, did you see Jesus alive after he was crucified? And they could say yes. Now, I don't care what court of the land you go into today, but if you bring 500 eyewitnesses with you, I can almost guarantee you, you've got a case. And the reason this matters, the reason resurrection matters is because resurrection authenticates identity. It proves that Jesus wasn't just another person, that he was who he said he was, the Son of God, come amongst us to give his life as a ransom for many, to die on the cross as the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let me boil it right down. Jesus lived and he died and he rose again. And because of that, you and I can know forgiveness and can know eternal life. Because the truth of the matter is, resurrection isn't just something that happened to Jesus. Resurrection is our destiny if we know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Let me pull us back into our text, into this story that we see. Lazarus, this guy, he's really sick. And word is sent to Jesus to say, your friend Lazarus is really sick. Now, if Jesus had left where he was and made the journey to Bethany, he could have been there in no time at all. But he delayed coming. He stalled. And it meant... By the time he arrives, Lazarus is dead. Not just dead, but in the tomb, buried for four days. And and, and there's this tension 
that that creates in the story. But why would Jesus allow that to happen? Why would Jesus allow that to happen? And yet what I want to suggest is that as we, as we read this story and as we see it, it, it's in that place of grief and in that place of pain that, that the people in the story, Mary and Martha and the crowd that are there, gain a deeper insight and a deeper experience into who Jesus is. Before this moment, they didn't know that he was the resurrection and the life, but, but after this, their minds are blown by this truth. Let me throw a question. I'm not giving an answer to this. I'm just throwing the question out to you tonight. Do you want a God who is going to fix your problems? Or do you want God? Because a big part of this text hangs on that question. Jesus comes to Bethany, essentially, he's coming to the wake. Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is buried. Martha, um, Lazarus's sister, hears that Jesus is on the road. She can't wait. She can't contain herself. And she runs out, and she finds Jesus, and she falls at Jesus' feet. And she looks at him, and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What an incredible thing to say to someone. How do you even begin to, res to respond to the, the agony and the accusation and the grief tied up in that statement? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus teases out this conversation with her. It's really interesting. He says to her, your, your, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I, I know he'll rise again on the last day. That's what we believe. Because back then in Jewish circles, there, there was two areas of belief. The Sadducees, they were very rational, very logical in what they thought. And they had no time for the supernatural. And, and they didn't believe in eternal life. You lived, you died, that was it. That was it. But the Pharisees, they were much more open to the supernatural. And they believed in, in eternal life and they believed in resurrection and they believed that, that at the end of time there would be a judgment and then there would be a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth. And, and the righteous, those who had lived according to God's will, would be raised up and would be celebrated and would be able to enjoy eternal life and a new creation. Guys, that's kind of what we believe. In fact, that is what we believe. Revelation 21 talks about a new heaven and a new earth. And Martha says, I, I believe he'll be raised up on the last day. She's articulating the belief of the Pharisees. If I follow the rules, I'll be faithful. And Jesus says, it's not about following the rules. I am the resurrection and the life. You're not waiting for a moment somewhere down the line. You're not trying to believe a doctrine. It's not about a doctrine. It's about a person. Jesus doesn't say, I will cause resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha 
comes to Jesus with grief. And he turns her to Scripture. He turns her to His Word. He turns her to the promise of God. And we have such a hope and a promise in God's Word about eternal life written over us. I had a, a conversation with someone this week that, that awoke a lot of emotions within me. Um, We have three amazing kids, um, but our, our son Archie, who is eight, he was actually a twin pregnancy. And really, we, we didn't know we were having twins, and really early on in, in the pregnancy, uh, Lara experienced a lot of bleeding. And we went to the hospital, um, and they thought that she had miscarried. And then they did a scan and, and found... Archie's heartbeat. But what they realized is we'd lost one of the twins in that moment. Miscarriage is something that we very rarely talk about. And yes, statistically, I'm sure there's a number of people here who have been in that journey or have, who have known people who have been in that journey. Unless you've been through it, it's so hard to understand. To grieve for a life you never got to hold. Lost dreams for someone you, you never had the chance to meet. And I remember as the emotion of it was hitting me, and the grief of it was hitting me. A friend of mine who's a minister, he came alongside me. He shared something that I'll never forget. In fact, I to. He shared how he and his wife had been through a similar thing, that they had lost a little one um, to miscarriage. And he said, Do you know what? We believe in resurrection. He said, we believe in eternal life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, let the little children come unto me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And the psalmist, he, he says, I, I knew you before you were born. I saw you being knit together in your mother's womb. And he said to me something that, that has stuck with me and, and shaped me and, and really defined how, how he said, Gareth, one day you'll see that little one again in heaven. Because life begins at conception. And that little one that you haven't got to meet yet is in God's presence. And I say that not out of sentiment or some veiled hope or because a Hallmark card told me that might happen. I say that because God in His Word says, I am the resurrection and the life. And we have a hope and we have a promise of eternal life in Scripture that shapes our understanding of death whenever it may come. And the Apostle Paul says, we do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope because in Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life, we have hope. 
and one day I will dance with that little son or daughter that I never got to meet in heaven. It's still in agony, but with hope. And Jesus talks to Martha in her grief about God's promise and God's word and hope. And then Martha goes and tells Mary, her sister, that Jesus is on the road. And Martha has lost her brother as well. And Martha has been at the wake. Sorry, Mary has been at the wake just as Martha has been. Mary has lost her brother just as Martha has. Mary runs to Jesus just as Martha did. She meets him at the same place on the road. She falls at his feet just as Martha did. The Bible tells us she actually uses exactly the same words that that Martha used. She says to Jesus, she says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus looked at her from the same family, experiencing the same grief. He, he looked at this sister, and he doesn't start a sermon, and he doesn't articulate theology, and he, he, he doesn't talk about the hope that we have in eternal life, and he doesn't say, I am the resurrection and the life. He feels this just groundswell of compassion for her rising up within him. This anger at the intrusion of death in his beautiful creation that he made. And he weeps. He simply weeps with her. I think it's one of the most incredible pictures in Scripture where we see the God who created the universe on his knees in the dirt with this woman, weeping, tears running down his cheeks, entering into her pain, being present with her. To one sister, he brings his word And to another sister, he's simply present with her, fully present with her. I remember when I was 17, my grandmother passed away. And at 17, trying to process those feelings of grief and loss. And and in the midst of it, some really strange things happened. Like one of the things, I don't know whether it's the custom here in Belfast, but one of the things that they do down in Market Hill is the family all line up at the graveside and everybody who's there comes and shakes your hand and pays their respects. And it's a small country town in Ulster and, and everybody comes to the funeral, even people who, who haven't really, didn't really know my grandmother were at the funeral because it was a dumb thing to do. And I'm shaking hands with people who are there to express sympathy. And, and the phrase they keep using, have you heard this? I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry. Going down a line of 12 people, I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for... And as a 17-year-old kid, what does that mean to me? What does that mean to me? I think sometimes in grief, we, we worry that we don't know what to say. And we worry we might say the wrong thing. But, but really, 
sometimes all you have to do is do what Jesus did with Mary and, and be present with her. Be there with her. And sometimes in the face of grief and loss, all we have to do is just come and sit beside the person and weep with them. But there's one final thing I, I, I need you to see in this text. Resurrection doesn't just point to our destiny. Resurrection defines our reality. Resurrection defines our reality. I'm going to use an illustration. I'm not sure it's going to work with you all. We'll see how it goes. Any Harry Potter fans in the house? Be honest, come on. I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. Total geek. Um, does anybody know what... The rest of you, you're lost. I, I apologize. I, it's, it's a niche illustration. It probably would have worked better at Jam this morning, but I'm such a fan. Um, does anybody know what Dumbledore's bird is called in Harry Potter? Some of you are going, yes, I know. It's stuck in the back of my head. I can't remember it. Pardon? It is a phoenix, but that's not the name of it. Well done, score, fox. Um, is the name. It's, it's, it's a phoenix, a mythical bird. And there's a scene in one of the Harry Potter films where this, this phoenix is in its cage. It's really old, and the feathers are all wilted and molted on it. And Harry, our young hero, standing there with Dumbledore, the aged professor, who just seems to know everything. And Fox, the bird, the phoenix, just kind of... and dies and falls off its perch and, and just lands on the bottom. And Harry is Harry's distraught. He's really overcome with grief. Tears are, are tripping the poor guy. You know, snot bubble, everything's going on. It's horrible. Um, but Dumbledore's standing smiling. And Harry looks at him and says, why are you so calm? Why are and he says, it's a phoenix. And the thing about phoenixes is, whenever they die, they are reborn. And he says, watch. And just out of this pile of, of molted feathers and ash and dust, this little chick pops its head out. And you have two different reactions. You have Harry's response and you have Dumbledore's response. And what I want to suggest tonight is that resurrection doesn't just shape our destiny or just define our destiny. It defines our reality. It changes how we react and respond in different situations. Because, guys, when we approach grief and suffering and pain today, I think as a church, and that's a fairly general statement, I mean that as Christians in, in Northern Ireland, as a church, I think we're really good at being present with people. I think we're really good at calling around with the lasagnas and sending cards and being with people in their journey of pain. I, I think we get presence and, and we pray for presence as well. We pray, God, will you send your Holy Spirit to bring comfort and bring peace and bring help in this time? And we've done that with family and friends who have gone through difficult times. And, and I also think in grief and in suffering and in pain, we're very good at, at opening God's Word and at sending a card with, with a promise from the Bible in it, or a text message with an encouraging word of Scripture, or getting alongside someone and saying, yeah, this is horrible, but, but let's hold on to the hope that we have 
in resurrection in Jesus. I think we're really good at, at being present with people, and we're really good at, at pointing people towards the hope of God's Word. But there's a third thing we need to discover. And here in Orangefield, we, 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 need, to, we need to see this. And it's not because you know, we're in a new season and I'm a new minister. That's not the reason I'm saying this. What I sense in spirit, and, and when I talk to other Christians, what I hear them, Christian leaders in this country, what I hear them articulating and feeling as they pray and as they listen, that there is a fresh move of the Holy Spirit on our land, that something is happening that hasn't happened before or certainly hasn't happened in a long, long time that churches are starting to listen to each other and hunger together and to pray for God to move in a new way, in a fresh way, to pour out His Spirit and to heal our land and to bring revival. And it's not just wishful thinking. Different leaders in different parts of this country are starting to feel this in their spirit and articulate this and preach this and encourage their congregations to pray for it as well. And it's what we see Jesus do at Lazarus' tomb. Jesus goes. This is the final part of the story. He goes and he stands at the entrance to the tomb, at the graveside, we would say. And John is really meticulous in giving us details that affirm that Lazarus is dead, dead, dead. <clears throat> He says the stone is rolled in place. You only put the stone in place when the person is dead and the body has been led inside. The corpse has been led inside. The stone has been put in place. The grave is finalized, is finished. John says he's been in there for four days. Now that's really important because in Jewish thinking and in Jewish sort of colloquial belief, when somebody died, their spirit, their soul kind of resounded around the body for three days, but after three days, there was a separation between the body and the soul. So, by the fourth day, there was no chance and no hope and nothing. And John says it's the fourth day. He's been in the grave for four days. We're even told the really gross detail that there's a bad odor. It's a warm climate and the body's been led there, and it's starting to break down and decompose, and that smell is rising. I actually thought there was a, a dead body in the church by Thursday with the smell of all the kids. <laughs> Sorry, that's not fair. So it's not. Uh, but we're told that the body's starting to decompose. John is making it so clear that, that Lazarus is dead. And Jesus stands in that situation, and where everybody else saw impossibility, Jesus saw possibility. Where everybody else saw despair, Jesus saw hope. Where everybody else saw only decay, Jesus saw life. And why did He see it? Because He is the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I am God entering back into the world that is defined by sickness and decay and death and pain and suffering. And I have come to bring life. I have come to bring hope. 
I have come to bring resurrection. I have come to restore what was lost at Eden, to take back the keys of the kingdom and the authority of it. And everything my presence touches, everything my presence infuses will experience my resurrection, eternity, life. Let me read a quote. N.T. Wright is a scholar. He was an Anglican bishop. He's now a scholar up in St. Andrews. He is, without doubt, the leading New Testament scholar on the cross and resurrection and eternal life for easily the past hundred years. There's no question about that all over the world. And N.T. Wright, in one of his books, he writes, Our task as image-bearing God-loving, Christ-shaped, Spirit-filled Christians following Christ and shaping our world is to announce redemption to a world that has discovered its fallenness, to announce healing to a world that has discovered its brokenness, to proclaim love and trust to a world that knows only exploitation and fear and suspicion. He says the gospel of Jesus points us and indeed urges us to be at the leading edge of the whole culture, articulating in story and in music and in art and philosophy and education and poetry and politics and yes, even theology, the hope and the resurrection and the life of Jesus. Guys, as Christians... We are carriers of the presence of Jesus. As Christians, we are called not simply to point people to a future hope. We are called to partner with Jesus and to pull that hope into the present. As we see this world through His eyes, as we pray in His name, and as we see the impossible become possible. I wonder as you step into housing estates that are defined by by generational unemployment and paramilitary activity, what do you see? I I wonder when you step into schools uh, that are defined by underachievements, what do you see? I, I wonder when you step out of this place into a city where loneliness has become an epidemic, what do you see? I wonder, when you look at stormant buildings and those seats where our government are meant to sit, and you look at people who are so entrenched in articulating what they're not that they have no idea what they're actually for, what do you see? Do you just see inevitability and say, that's the way it's always been? Nothing's going to change. Or do you see through Jesus' eyes? Do you see through the eyes of the one who says, I am the resurrection and the life? Do you see possibility? Do you see hope? Do you see that when Jesus enters any situation, it can change? Because what I believe, church, is that what we are called to do is to pray that Jesus will give us his eyes, that we can step into any situation and just like he did, speak resurrection, speak transformation. 
speak life over this city in Jesus' name. And just as Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, we are called to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, come. And as I was praying before the service, I I had a real sense from God that some of you are lingering at the grave. That's the words I felt him say. And and maybe that's to do with death, but, but I think it's bigger than that. Some of you are lingering in, in past hurts and disappointment. That you've been carrying for, for a long, long time. And tonight, our Heavenly Father wants you, to, wants you to begin to see His heart and to know His love. Holy Spirit, become, come and be present with those people that have chains around their heart of disappointment and hurt and grief and release love in their lives now. And very simply allow those chains to fall off. Believe, Lord, that you are are God of the impossible. We believe that you are good. Come and and, and release your Father's heart amongst us tonight. And for anyone who... For anyone who's here tonight who in the course of the last half hour, I've, I've just become more and more convinced that, that this stuff about Jesus is real. You felt your heart warmed. You find yourself moving from, from doubt and suspicion to, to, to truth and, and, and longing. And you want to take that step and give your life to Jesus tonight to become a Christian and to, to have eternal life written over your destiny. Pray with me now. 
Jesus, thank you that you lived and you died and you rose again. Thank you for for defeating death and making a way for eternal life. Tonight, I, I confess my sin. I acknowledge my imperfection. I hold out my brokenness and my pain and my disappointment. Jesus, come into my heart and allow your resurrection, life-giving reality to unfold within me and make me yours. In Jesus' name.